In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, and my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present here, present on the altar, in that monstrance, we, we make an act of faith today on the feast of the exaltation of the Holy Cross. And perhaps you remember the words that we read this morning from the hymn of the morning prayer in the breviary. One of the, one of the passages says quite beautifully in the hymn, He endured the nails, the spitting, vinegar, and spear and reed. From that holy body broken, blood and water both proceed. Earth and stars and sky and ocean by that flood from stain are freed. It's a beautiful passage. It goes on to talk about the extent uh, of the Lord's generosity in dying, in suffering for us. And in one of the passages from St. Andrew of Crete in the, in the Office of Readings, we read about the power of the cross. It says, And if you would understand that the cross is Christ's triumph, hear what he himself also said. And he quotes there from from our Lord himself, from the Gospel, when I am lifted up, then I will draw all things to myself. And so St. Andrew says, now you can see that the cross is Christ's glory and triumph. I will draw all things to myself. It is that power of drawing all things to myself, that the Lord draws things to himself through the power of the cross that we want to meditate on and see in what way and what in what way does this apply to me today? Ultimately, both that hymn that details the nature of the passion and that passage from drawing all things to himself really speaks to us about the, the power of that infinite generosity of, the, of love in our Lord's saving mission of, on the cross. The infinite generosity of Christ. And uh, that is the power that we receive now also as priests. We receive some kind of grace to draw things, not to ourselves, but to Christ. So, so perhaps as we picture the Lord now, in all the context of the Passion, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all things to myself, that we too like our Lord, want to be generous priests. Would that it be one of the characteristics of our priesthood that it be described as generous. Generous. Because we are truly, in, in a very real way, engaging in the power of the cross with our generous response. 
not with our keen intellect necessarily, not with our high-rated prudence or our great experience or our prowess in preaching necessarily, which are all, of course, good things, but in our generous response as priests on day-to-day. And it's a response not just to anything, it's a response to God's grace who has made us priests. And um, our response ultimately is not like a response like you see some people, they make the sign of the heart, you know, they go like this, they make a sign of a heart, it's kind of hard to make, I don't know how they, or they make it like this, and they, they're meant to say, you know, I love you, and they make this kind of weird sign of the heart. Our sign of response is not a sign of a heart, it's the sign of the cross, it's much more. And uh, this is what uh, Pope Francis mentioned in his first encyclical there, Evangelii Gaudium, when he speaks about the primacy of grace for us to be apostles. And he, he quotes here from Lumen Gentium, both Lumen Gentium and then Pope Benedict. He says, The salvation which God offers us is the work of His mercy. No human effort, however good they may be, no human efforts, however good they may be, can enable us to merit so great a gift. God, by His sheer grace, draws us to Himself and makes us one with Him. God, with His grace, draws us to Himself, makes us one with Him. The Pope says, He sends His Spirit into our hearts to make us His children, transforming us and enabling us to respond to His love by our lives. The Church is sent by Jesus Christ as the sacrament of salvation offered by God. That's from Lumen Gentium, number one. And this principle of the primacy of grace must be a beacon which constantly illuminates our reflections on evangelization. The primacy of grace, which often Pope Francis has spoken about. Because we can take for granted God's grace in the sense that it will always be there. And indeed, it is here right now. God's grace is here right now in your vocation. It is here today. It is here on this recollection. It is here with our Lord here present in the monstrance, even if it is somewhat hidden. And it is always there as an example of generous love for us. Present here always. God, our Lord, will never abandon us. He will never abandon us in our vocation. He will never refuse His grace. He will never get tired of forgiving us. He will never, in any circumstance, not consider us His children, His sons, even if we sin. So that's a given. God will never abandon us. God will always support me. The Lord will always support me. Just as it, He supported me on the cross, which was an act of love par excellence. So as we consider that, we can ask ourselves, how has that affected my sense of responsibility, my generosity in corresponding to the grace of my vocation? That's a key question. How 
Have I responded generously to the grace of my vocation? I've received really the greatest grace of my life, which is the grace of my vocation. I mean, I guess after baptism. The greatest grace I've received is the grace of my vocation. And some, in some way, grace is a is a, of little use if we don't grasp hold of it. If we do not correspond to it. Imagine receiving a lot of grace and then just not, like, kind of like not doing anything with it. God does not want us simply to be effective robots. He, in some way, wants generosity. And that generosity, in some way, is represented through the cross. Because after all, the Lord loved us with the cross. He loved us, as, as we read, you know, with that body broken, that blood and water that proceed from his side, the spitting, the nails, the spitting, the vinegar, the spear, the, the reed, those are all signs of his generosity, the extent to which he loved us, the extent to which he corresponded. And uh, in some way, if we don't correspond in our vocation, if we do not grasp the importance of corresponding, if we, if we hover along at a mediocre rhythm, in some way, our vocation becomes very ineffective. It, it's as though we no longer become the priests that the Lord wants us to be. We know He wants generosity. After all, remember what He said this past weekend to St. Peter when Peter tried to dissuade him from going to Jerusalem to be mistreated and suffer at the hands of men. Remember Jesus said, the Son of Man must now go to Jerusalem where he will suffer, he will be spat and abused and so forth. And on the third day, he will be crucified and on the third day he will rise again. Okay. And St. Peter said, okay, look, maybe you're getting a bit ahead of yourself, Lord. And he took him aside and said, this shall never happen to you. That's too much. He had an image of the Messiah as triumphant, that will battle the Romans, that will conquer the Romans, and give us victory over the Romans. And we know the words of Jesus, get behind me, Satan. It's as though he's saying, if you're not ready to embrace that kind of cross, that kind of generosity, get behind me, Satan. Because ultimately, I mean, it doesn't mean Peter is Satan, but he was succumbing in some way to the thought of Satan. The thought of Satan is kind of allowing life just to go along triumphantly, where nothing much is demanded of us. Indeed, where we go from one triumph to the next. So we have to ask ourselves, have, has there been in the last month any kind of mediocre response in which it could happen that I'd be said it'd be said of me what our Lord said of Peter get behind me Satan get behind those are very strong words very strong words I remember when I was uh, learning about the faith uh, back in the early 80s I was still a Protestant and I was planning on becoming Catholic, but I had not yet become Catholic as such. And uh, my friend told me, well, for you to become Catholic, you at least have to go to my church, which was a Protestant church. It was called the People's Church. 
the people's church. And uh, he, he had me go to this service. And afterwards, there were a whole bunch of um, Protestants waiting for me, friends of his, that uh, were former Catholics. And, uh, and they were very intent on um, convincing me that the Catholic Church was um, not only wrong, but part of Satan's ploy to get us all to hell, according to them. And, um, and I remember talking with them, and I said, well, look, uh, Peter did declare to Christ when he, was at, when he was asked, who do you say that I am? He did say, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. In other words, Peter did declare the true identity of who Christ was. I said, this was with the very little formation that I had at the time. And then one of the guys said, yeah, but Jesus said of Peter, you are Satan. Which means that all the popes are Satan. Every single pope is Satan, 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 Satan. So unfortunately, I didn't have a, I didn't have a response to that, you know. But it is in a certain way true that we are falling into that trap when we are not generous in following the Lord on the cross. Think perhaps also of that tremendous scene in the Gospel of St. Mark, in uh, Mark 11, the account of the barren fig tree. Jesus had been precisely in Jerusalem and he had gone into the temple and then he stayed out in Bethany and the following day when they came from Bethany he was hungry the hunger of our Lord imagine that and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf he went to see if he could find anything on it and when he came to it he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs and he said to it may no one ever eat fruit from you again and his disciples heard it and they, were, they must have been quite struck by this and uh, they, were, they, were, they were impressed by this cursing of the, of the barren fig tree and uh, likewise the, the absence or maybe the death of the fig tree would symbolize judgment, it would symbolize rejection. Symbolically, the tree represented, on one, on the one hand, the spiritual deadness of Israel, who while externally, outwardly, very religious, like those leaves, with all their sacrifices and their ceremonies in temple, was spiritually barren because of their sins. That perhaps was one of the ideas that St. Mark was getting at. And, uh, but it's also addressed to us that lack of, that lack of fruit in our life, the lack of generosity. This is what St. Josemaria says, these are hard words indeed. May you never bear fruit. How must the disciples have felt especially if they consider that it was the wisdom of God who had thus spoken. Jesus curses the fig tree because in it he has found only appearance of fruitfulness. 
many leaves. Let this be a lesson to us. There's no excuse for being unproductive. Some might say, I don't know enough, but that is no excuse. Or else, I am unwell, I haven't talent, the conditions are not right, my surroundings. These aren't excuses either. How pitiful the man who adorns himself with the foliage of a false apostolate, who has all your outward appearance of leading a fruitful life, but is not sincerely attempting to yield fruit. It looks as though he is using his time well. He seems to be getting around to organize things, to be inventing new ways of solving all kinds of problems. But, this is Saint Josemaria, but he has nothing to show for his efforts. No one will benefit from his works if they have no supernatural content. Let us ask our Lord that we may be souls who are ready to work with a heroism that proves fruitful. A heroism that proves fruitful. For there's no lack of people here on earth who, on being approached, turn out to be nothing but large, shiny, glossy leaves. Foliage, just foliage and nothing more. Meanwhile, many souls are looking to us, hoping to satisfy their hunger, which is a hunger for God. And we must not forget that we have all the means we need. We have sufficient doctrine and the grace of God in spite of our wretchedness. Well, many, many people are looking to us and they have to see in our lives, the lives of priests, a life of generosity, a life of correspondence. How can I do that? How could I correspond to the grace? Well, we can begin each day with a real determination to give away all our little treasures that we may accumulate. Little treasures of our time, our little, our little joys, our little... give away our alms, our abilities for others. The Gospel tells us that there were so many people coming and going that the Apostles didn't even have time to eat didn't have time to eat. They must have gotten hungry. What is clear is that our response to our vocation cannot be partial. We cannot say, I'll give myself, yes, I'll give myself, but 60%, or at least it's better than 50%. I'll give myself my vocation until it works out, until I don't get too tired. As long as I understand everything, as long as it all makes good and decent sense. There are some people who don't understand, some priests who don't understand certain decisions of the hierarchy, even certain decisions of the Pope. They don't understand them. It doesn't make sense to them. It's crazy. They, they refuse sometimes even to obey. That, it seems to me, would be a love that is still somehow, in some way, immature, still partial, still lacking in that basic generosity. It would, in a certain way, be a mere foliage, like that, that, that fig tree. After all, if we only 
give of ourselves when we understand, when it makes sense, you know, how is that truly an act of faith? We cannot bypass generosity. We cannot bypass the total gift of, sen- uh, of self, of ourselves. It doesn't matter if I suffer somewhere along the line, if I don't get the parish that I want, if I don't get the task I like, the responsibilities that I think I can handle. I will always serve you, Lord, no matter what. Perhaps the best thing we can do in front of our Lord here, who, whom we are praying in front of in the Blessed Sacrament, and, and we're celebrating the exaltation of the cross, the raising up of the cross, the finding of the true cross. We can make that decision. Never to refuse God anything. Never to refuse God anything. And if I make that decision now, that declaration, if you like, now, that can be a great source of peace, a great source of generosity, because, because it is an act of generosity. Never to refuse what happens in my life, whether it's the people I live with, whether it's the illness that God permits, the events that occur, the corrections I might get, the humiliations I might suffer. Every event in my life is like an invitation, an opportunity to greater sanctity, an opportunity to greater fidelity. We cannot say I will be faithful as long as people around me are smart and kind and and, uh, I get my eggs in the morning, I get my coffee, in the morning, I get my two cappuccinos. As long as I get my sports and my rest. But to be generous. How have I been truly generous? We, when we are generous, we are like that good smell of Christ. People notice the good smell of a generous priest, like Mary Bethany, who poured out the precious ointment over Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, dried him, dried his feet with her hair. That ointment, whatever that ointment was, that perfume, whatever it was, this cost, we are told, it's a costly nard, it cost a lot of money, it was upper grade, it wasn't cheap, it wasn't bought at Dollarama, or at, you know, at uh, Walmarts. It wasn't bought in a strip mall. It was bought, you know, the most precious and expensive perfume. It was in a little bottle that she would carry around her neck. And she wiped it after that. She broke the, the bottle, right? So the whole bottle was done. She couldn't even keep the bottle for something else. Maybe if we were to carry this, we might put it drop by drop, keeping it a little bit, as you do with perfume. Perfume is always made in such a way it can only give, be given drop by drop. But she broke it. She just completely, like there was no way of holding anything back. And uh, that's what Pope Benedict said 
about the life of Pope John Paul II, I believe it was on the first anniversary of his death, he said that with his life, with his energy, with his dedication, with his generosity, John Paul II's life was like a broken jar that, that filled the entire church with this, this precious smell, this, this, um, this smell of sanctity and holiness that the entire church uh, you know, sort of uh, experienced in his life. You could see it when he was older and tired. He's never said no to our Lord. And um, Pope Francis has spoken often very demanding things about priests. He wants us to discover that art of accompaniment, which is often also a sign of generosity, but knowing that we have the grace to do it, it's, uh, it's not simply the task of sitting next to a bed and doing our job. Somewhere our radar has to be fine-tuned, our antennas, antennas pointed to this soul or to that soul, that we are on sacred ground. He spoke a lot about this, the art of listening, that we're not simply bystanders in the lives of others. The greatest uh, correspondence to grace for us will be our final uh, perseverance. And well, we can ask for this grace now, and we can ask it for our brother priests and others, of course, final perseverance. It would be so sad that we should have been generous and then fall in the end and somehow in our retirement end up somehow becoming selfish and focused in on our little things, on our health and our little interests. Maybe we will be very weak and we can't do much, but that's fine. We can still be generous. We can still offer our, our pains even maybe the loneliness that we might suffer if we're left alone. We can even suffer, suffer that or offer that. There was a story of a guy told, he was told by his doctor that he had cancer and so he searched for his last will and testament and he brought his son and his daughter in and he told them that he had cancer and then they, they read the last will and testament and they wept together and both these children realized that their father had worked all his life to ensure a secure future for those that he loved. He had worked hard and now he was dying. But what he had left them, this financial security, what have you. This was his legacy. That was the legacy he was leaving them. So we can ask, what is the legacy that you will leave? Is your life a legacy of generous response to grace? What will you indeed, you and I, 
Me too, what will I leave behind? Some people just leave bets. Will I only leave a photo of myself on the parish wall? That's what I looked like when I was younger and unafraid? Maybe our work in the parish, in wherever we are placed, can be like a laboratory of generosity. Where I don't count the hours in acts of service, in the apostolate, in prayer for this person, in intercession for this parishioner, in going out. A laboratory of generosity. I know an engineer who studies how to build buildings to make them earthquake proof, earthquake proof and wind proof and some of the long or rather the very tall buildings he makes them in such a way that they resist to these gusts of wind and Toronto is a place that has lots of gusts of wind and they have to be engineered in such a way that they that they stay stable and they have to do these tests these laboratories where they make you know the foundations and so forth move and to see how strong they can resist how strongly can you resist? How is your laboratory going? Some people punch in at work and uh, they know that when they're paying their work and then the, the clock is ticking, but then when they punch out, they relax, they live for themselves. We never really punch in or punch out. We're always, in some ways, we're always priests as we know. So let us ask uh, the Lord for this grace of generosity. Our Blessed Mother will help us, she'll guide us, guide us in this beautiful uh, endeavor so that we really leave behind a legacy of generosity, of correspondence to grace. This is what she did. She went all the way to stand at the foot of the cross. So St. Joseph did as well with his protective uh, mission as, as foster father uh, of the child, as protector of the Holy Family. He will intercede for us now in this year, Saint Joseph, so that we correspond as God wants us to correspond in this year of grace. I thank you, my God, uh, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.